Hey everyone. Hello there. Welcome back to the potty. Welcome back to the potty is right. This is such a, we're now in September. Yes. We're now not quite in fall, although it feels like fall. Um, as we, we put up some polls on Instagram and um, <laughs> were you one of the ones that was like, is it not already fall? Is it not? <laughs> Tech, well, no, you would think the start of like September would be the start of fall, like just going with you the You would months. think when the pumpkin spice comes out at Starbucks, it would be <laughs> the initiation. That's, well, okay. And that's where I kind of get a little bit like frazzled because the pumpkin spice comes out, right? And like, there's nothing more that I want right now than just to go get a pumpkin spice latte. And sure, I could do that and just stop complaining. But no, what do I do? Instead, <laughs> I think to myself... Well, it's not September 21st yet, and you know me, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm very, like, inspired by the season, so I find, like, every, like, the start of a new season is very, like, I don't know, I know it's just a date, and it's all man-made, but the 21st of September is the first official, kind of like how I think, is it the 21st of June? I feel like that's too coincidental. At the no, that 21st. might be right, though. Um, it has to do though with like like for summer, the first day of summer is the yeah yeah something equinox when it's like the sun is the I I forget I forget. However, um, I don't know what the like the signifier is for fall, but that happens on the twenty first of September, um, at least in Canada. So that's that's how I that's what I meant when I posted that poll and and you know was like. I can't wait for fall because I can't. And I'm just like, I'm yearning for a pumpkin spice latte right now. But mm, maybe I'll just... Cold foam. Do you think it's like, it would be weird if you just said, if you just wanted like a cup of the cold foam? I mean, I'm sure someone has done it before. Um, like if you said it's someone- like a pup cup. <laughs> Can I get a venti pup cup? <laughs> yeah, my dog, he eats a lot for sure. It's for my dog, yeah, totally. I don't think it would be that weird. I mean, I mean, yeah, just don't mention it's for your dog. And you wouldn't have to say a pup cup, I guess. <laughs> like, just ask for the cold foam girl. Can I get a venti pup cup? <laughs> That's going to be out. Like, I'm, get, I'm getting that inscribed on my tombstone. No, yeah. <laughs> venti pup cup. Um, what else is going on? So it's not fall. Um, <laughs> we're kind of just at the end of summer still. And um, it's not fall, so you can't get your venti pumpkin spice cold foam. It's pumpkin spice cold foam? No, it's just pumpkin cream cold foam. <laughs> no, okay. it's not. I don't know pumpkin what it is. Pumpkin cream cold brew with cold foam. Cold, that is. <laughs> I actually don't... I, okay, I, I don't mind a cold foam drink, but I, I very much am not like a cold drink when it comes to coffee like i'm i very yeah, much prefer true. hot coffee and so like nothing against it of course but, but you at could the same still get time, the cold cream cold brew cream <laughs> <laughs> can i get the hot cream hot foam please <laughs> a venti hot foam cup please <laughs> that's a hot one please thanks um okay back to the orderly nature of life um sarah any updates with you um yeah, so... That's <laughs> so interesting, I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm now the main character at my job. <laughs> okay, you're the boss? I'm not the side character summer student anymore. Oh um, my gosh. I still do the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, you're, you're, you're moving up in the hierarchy of 
um, at least the perceptions of what you, well, actually, I don't know about that, but, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> you know, your perceptions, you know, you're not working there for the summer anymore. So that's kind of cool. Um, you now have a leg up on me if I return. Um, I mean, maybe you won't return next. I don't know. You're still there. <laughs> yeah, the we point. don't know what the future is going to hold or bring. So we're not going to do it. Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> personally, I, as you as you all know, um, since Kills we recorded the last, a social worker, I'm a registered social worker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now a registered social worker, so I'll be starting <laughs> practice on Monday. Um, not quite. I had my first classes. <laughs> of the social work program yesterday. Um, Super cool. I love. I'm very interested in the course content or the outline so far. So I think it's really, it's a really good fit for me. Um, Of course, I will, you know, for sure decide like what I want to do with it Um, more in like field placements and such. But like, I think, I think it's a good fit so far. Day two, going strong. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm making a couple new friends, which is fun. Um, I feel like in my first undergrad, um, I was very much kind of hesitant to reach out to people and like make friends, although I did. But, you know, I was also off campus like for th- three quarters of my degree, one year online, then two just living, you know, off campus. But you know, I still have my friends and we still, you know, we still vibe in. So, <laughs> um, a quick recap before we get into things of last week, just in case you haven't checked it out, don't know what we did, what we've been up to. Um, last week we had on the podcast, I almost said Isabel Magic, but that was our first guest. We had Emily LeHoulier, um, who traveled just for the podcast from Australia. <laughs> just kidding. No, she did not. We talked about her experiences moving back, um, you know, when she thought she was starting, or when she started a life in Australia. Um, and then, you know, when when things don't go exactly how you imagine them to be, um, she moved back here and she came on the podcast for, for a good old say about just everything Australia and the dangers of life <laughs> down under. So give that a listen no, after yeah. this episode. After the break. <laughs> um, now, Sarah, did you want to? I know we've we've explained it before in our last episode. like Not our last episode, but the last episode like this that we've done. But um, for this episode, um, um, would you like to explain the format for the listeners again? Sure. So, um, sensually, the mm-hmm. purpose. Sensually. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, of um, the course. The whole idea is that um, basically we just talk about a lot of random stuff, like interesting random stuff, not just like random <laughs> stuff. But um, so somebody starts. So this time Kale started. So Kale picked a topic, and then based off Kale's topic, he gives me like a hint, which is like one word. And then I have to find something based on his hint, and then I give him a hint. And we go back and forth in that nature. Um, exactly. And yeah. I think it's really, it's actually kind of fun. Like I, I was stepping, like listening, like, or just like thinking about last like episode that we've done. I call it like a pinball episode because we're just bouncing back mm-hmm. and forth. I, um, I, I was thinking about how cool it is that we just can like always find, like not always. I mean, you know, it's not like the most ground breaking like earth shaking like <laughs> topics that we cover but like it's it's fun to just to roll with 
you know, a one word hint. <laughs> and then just like kind of just dig until you find something that's worth talking about. And of course they're random. Of course they're No, you know, mine are so random this time. Like I feel like last time we had like a like a, a theme. you know, it was like kind of like geared towards the same subjects but this time mine are like so (laughs) random mine i'm looking at them now mine are a little bit random like they're yeah okay kind of random kind of not but you know we love it anyway so we each have five technically things to talk about i feel like we should just dive right into them do you have any other you know things to get off the to-do list no you take it away kale i'm gonna take it all away now Okay, remember how I once referenced um, in, oh gosh, what episode would that have been? It doesn't really matter. I think it was episode eight um, when we explored the different like wonders of the world. I think that was it. I don't quite know. But I talked about something called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, mm-hmm. um, which was how you... Okay, I'm just jogging my memory, <laughs> which is essentially how once you learn about something, then you're, then you now recognize it. And so because you recognize it after learning about it, you think that, oh my gosh, it's suddenly become more prominent. And I'm, you know, why am I seeing all these things? What a coincidence. But it's actually mm-hmm. just because you now recognize the thing. Well, this I've seen, this actually, I first heard about this first topic on another podcast. Um, so, you know, we're just redoing other podcast material, I guess. But, like, <laughs> regardless, I just thought it was a cool story, um, which I had never heard about, really, before um, that podcast. And then after that, um, I, after the fact, I was like, wow, I heard it. I actually, they, they mentioned um, just, like, briefly it somewhere on something. And it, it's it's kind of, you'll if you know it, you know it kind of thing. But essentially, it's like almost one of those things that can be referenced just with two words. And so, and people will know what the story is because of how widespread it was. But I started off just thinking about um, baby Jessica. Those are the two words that like come to people's minds. But yeah, sorry. Um, why I talked about the beta Marina phenomenon. Yes. I, did I explain that just now? <laughs> I feel like I didn't go full circle there. Okay. You but did. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I heard that on the podcast. Then I, yeah. yeah okay. We're good. We're good. <laughs> My brain is all frazzled as I'm about to... Okay, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this case. So, if you don't know, Jessica McClure was 18 months old on October 14th, 1987. So, it's a little blast of the past. We're in it. We're imagining it. October. Halloween. That's then was fall. Um, So, she's playing in her aunt's backyard in Midland, Texas. Now, around 9.30 in the morning, Jessica falls into an abandoned well casing. Do you know this story, by the way? Like, yeah, because I was going to do it, like, once. You were. I was going to say this story once you gave the hint to me. Yeah. But then you were like. Mm. If it, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I was like, if it involves a baby, don't. Yeah. Um, okay, so she falls into an abandoned well casing that's only eight inches in diameter, which, like, that's that's almost impressive. That's pretty like <laughs> scary, like to think like I am very much a claustrophobic person, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine like like I mean obviously she's a baby, but like eight inches is like like that's not even a foot long. Like what? Okay, and it's twenty two feet deep the hole. So 
Um, now her family, her aunt who was babysitting her and her mother, they frantically call 911 upon discovering that she's trapped. Um, I guess they just were like, where is she? And they just, they heard the cries coming out from the ground. Could you imagine how scary that would be? (laughs) Now, um, around mid morning, um, first responders arrive and they assess the situation. They can hear her crying, but they can't see her, which is actually kind of terrifying too, to think like, of course, it's terrifying for the first responders, but also the family. Could you imagine just hearing her cries yeah. and like knowing she's down there, but like you can't see her if she's okay? You can only hear her. So in the afternoon, once they kind of, you know, assess what the hell is happening, they then um, efforts to extract Jessica begin. So they try various methods, including a rope. Okay, this doesn't quite make sense, but. From my source, I got, including a rope tied to a firefighter who was lowered into the well. Like, was it a baby firefighter? I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think they must have tried to lower a rope. Maybe this is what that my source was trying to say. Did the firefighter go down on the rope? Well, then, um, they okay, because I'm quoting basically the, the source, but they they realized the well is too narrow for a person to fit. Eight oh, inches. Okay, yeah. Eight inches. So, eight inches. Like, do you know how big inches are? <laughs> do the person go down? The- Sarah, please. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, they realized that. So, I don't know if they actually did that or if that was just a, you know, a typo or an error. <laughs> I don't know in the reporting. But, um, so that was the first day. They just completely didn't know what to do. They were, like, trying to think of things. Meanwhile, she's down there. They don't know what condition she's in. and And, you know... And news, the media attention, they start to kind of like build and all these reporters show up and they're like, and it suddenly becomes a global thing that everyone's just waiting to see if baby Jessica will survive um, or be rescued. So the next day, October 15th, um, like morning to afternoon, I'm just giving you a time frame, drilling experts are called in to dig a parallel shaft next to the well, hoping to reach her without disturbing her. So like versus just, you know, they, they obviously couldn't just dig right into that casing or that hole because, you know, you can only get so close before you start to, like, disturb her down there. So a large drilling rig begins um, to dig this parallel shaft, and it's super slow. So they, but they manage to lower a microphone into the well so they can hear her cry, and they also have, like, some form of a speaker so that they can try to reassure her. But she's 18 months old, so that's kind of... You know, does she understand what they're saying? She just probably heard some voices and was like, okay, maybe I'm not just completely, like, lost, you know? So they continue drilling um, throughout the night and into the the next morning. So after 58 hours, the drill breaks through into the well. Um, And then rescuers carefully remove a section of the well casing. Um, Her leg was, like, trapped, which provided another, like, it was, like, kind of pinned upward, so they couldn't just, like, pull her from the hole. So that that was, like, another block in the or roadblock in the um in the whole process in the road (laughs) (laughs) not in the road say please um but okay and miraculously she's found to have minor injuries um and just and just some like you know exposure to the cold um things like that she's immediately taken to the hospital but then Okay, so she she lives, and she's now, I forget how old. I don't know how old you'd be in 1987. That means you're at least 35, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, Jessica, please write in and um, tell us exactly how old you are. Just kidding, I could probably Google it. 
Um, <laughs> but people like, because it got so much media attention, um, people started donating like to help, like, you know, immediately they were like sending funds over. Um, funds for what? Just <laughs> funds for what? <laughs> no, no I'm talking about before like they rescued her too. And like medical expenses, because they're in the States, right? So it's like, it's not all oh, free. Okay. So medical expenses, but also like in the 58 hours, which is over two days, <laughs> 24, 48, 72, right? Yeah. Over two days, um, people were just sending money in. So they amassed, um, I believe, they, they never really announced a full amount, but I believe it was over a million dollars. Um and which her parents yeah, college put funds in the, per they did put they put it in a trust fund that she could access when she was I think twenty five I read. Um but apparently they lost most of the money. I don't know how that mm. happened, which is sounds scandalous. Mm, but yeah. um I don't know. I'm just probably spreading spreading rumors, but there was a stock market crash, something. They probably invested the money. Who knows? I don't know. Jessica, but please I, write in. Tell us where the money no, went. No, because because it's like please. Um, <laughs> I think it's that's such a wow. Like I just the dedication. It really just kind of re- renews my faith in humanity. Like, could you imagine being that baby stuck in a well? And now, if there's another baby stuck in not even a well, but like a well, <laughs> the hole for an abandoned well. Like now they know at least the blueprints of what to do if a baby's that's so twenty-two facts. feet deep. No, because yeah. um, so. From that, I I pulled out the theme, the hint, rescue, and I threw that at Sarah. And Sarah, what do you have for us? Um, it's really funny how like that's what you gave me, and I and I also was gonna share the same. Because there's so many rescue stories, right? But like, like that would have been like really funny if like, wait, how we, have you even? I think I, did I text you though saying like, if it's about a baby, don't do it. Or no, you texted no, me saying I underground. Gave you, I gave you, yeah. You you tried to give me another hint after the fact, and you were like, underground. And I was like, <laughs> you were like mm-hmm. um, uh, sorry, yeah. I had it first. So we hey, should have well, just collaborated on that one. God, anyways. missed opportunity. I told it better. Um, so when you said, wait, what was your hint again? Um, rescue. rescue. Right. Mm-hmm. So upon all of this, and first I discovered the story about Jessica, whatever, whatever, I was thinking about, um, you know, like the people on TikTok. So then I got thinking about people on TikTok who were like go crawling through like the caves. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. I but have they're not. Like, literally like. I can't. Um, I'll, maybe we'll post one on the Instagram story or share one there. But Is it worth is it what you like when you are you talking about like just going through tight spaces? Or are you talking about like when they do that technique where they breathe in and expand or like? I'm not sure about the breathing techniques, but I'm talking. About, <laughs> okay, I'm talking about just crawling through tight spaces. Yeah. Um, and just how much anxiety it gives me watching those kinds of videos. Of course. So then I got thinking of this, and then this is how I found this story. So yeah. There was this group of miners. This is kind of, I feel like this was kind of like a, I guess, like popular story as well. Like I've heard about this story before Googling it. But basically there was a group of miners from Chile who got Miners ER. (laughs) Miner, oh yeah, I should specify. 
miners as in the resource extractors yeah not <laughs> below the age of 18 individuals <laughs> um so there was a group of miners who got trapped for 68 days below the surface because um a shaft of the copper mine in which they labored crumbled on top of them <laughs> oh my god um i shouldn't be laughing i'm not laughing but i'm just i i don't know if i've heard about this I think it was, like, pretty, like, well, I mean, they were down there for 68 days, so that's, like, 68 <laughs> days that the media was, like, okay, like, um, but there was 33 miners. Oh, my gosh. Again, not individuals under the age of 18. <laughs> <laughs> not that it really matters um, for the story, but, like. Trapped in a small space for 68 days. Um, wow. And it says that the men were stuck behind 770,000 tons of rocks. Which tons are a lot more than pounds. Well, depending on the, like, if it's, anyway. Tons are tons, but okay. Anyway. Um, and anyway, a- basically, so they were down there for 68 days, and the only way they could, like, communicate was through this hole that was, like, dug out by, like, I guess, like, a rescue crew. So that's yeah. how they were, like, communicating, like, I guess their names to, like, their family members to tell their family members, like, I'm down here. I'm alive. <laughs> How'd they dig a hole, but they couldn't dig a... Well, it says borehole. I'm not really sure what a borehole means. Okay, I think boreholes are just really, really small holes. Yeah. Could um, they at least, like, drop some, like, juice down there? Just a long straw. <laughs> just bl- blended, like, Big Macs. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, insensitive maybe, but... Oh, well, it does say that they were given... Oh, well, it says information on... Nutrition. Okay, like- so I don't know really what that was going to do. But. <laughs> information on nutrition? What do you mean? It literally they just, like, says they were advised they just- by NASA with information on nutrition. Okay, so that's kind of sus. Where they just like, NASA just was like, yeah, so you don't have food down there. That's all I said. I guess, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a drilling process, but it took like obviously 68 days. <laughs> <laughs> Once um, again, but all thirty-three men survived. So, but like, what did they eat though? Yeah, sixty-eight days. That's like two months. Cave bats? Like, I don't, I don't know. know. That's what I'm wondering. Because I don't know. They it said that they huddled in a space called the refuge, which well they called it the refuge, <laughs> right? But they refer to it as a room. So I'm like, how big like is the space? You know. Well, for 33 people, I'm guessing it was, you know, probably not comfortable, but probably not, like, the worst. But, like, probably, like, not food. Yeah. Like. Well, no, I doubt there's, like, I doubt there's snacks and packed lunches. <laughs> but, like, but I just mean, if they dug a borehole, like, I would think, like, just pour them some. Like, how big was the cave, though? You said it was just a room? No. Well, that's what they refer to it as, a room. They huddle in a room called the Refuge. Oh, so was there a larger, like, cave system, mine system that that's they were in? what I'm... Because if that's the case, and there must be lots of room, you know, they can go down, mm-hmm. um, use the loo, kind of just poop into a designated cavern. I don't know. <laughs> but Quite, yeah, wow. It's just, like, scary. Where did this happen? Do you know? Chili. Oh, what happened in Chile? We love Chile. Or Chile. I don't know what it's technically pronounced, but... 
I say chili because, you know, we love. Um, um, yeah, honestly, yes. that's kind of one of my biggest fears is getting trapped, like, in a cave or, like, in a tight space. <laughs> Me too. Like, I can't even really be, like... I don't know. Like, I'm just very much, like, if someone hugs me for too long or, like, I, I mean, I, it's a very different. But, like, if I'm, if I physically have to, like, crawl through or, like, get through a tight space, like, I just, I just don't think I could. Like, it's so scary. And, like, to think, too, that, like, as I was think, as I was talking, I don't know if it's actually a breathing technique, but there's something I watched on some show where they were mining, where they were, like, we have to make sure to hold our breath, like, like, or wait, or how does that work? What do you do? Like when your stomach like shrivels, do you breathe out? <sighs> I don't know. <clears throat> I'm trying to do it myself, but cause like mine kind of, no. Okay. So you have to breathe out. And once the air is out of your lungs, I think that's when like you're supposed to go through tight spaces because your body's physically smaller. Oh. But what if you breathe in? What if you breathe in again? No. Yeah. Then you, then you just expand like a balloon and you're like stuck. Ooh, that is just traumatizing. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So with that, I said underground for the hint. No, at first. And then you gave me another one that was formed of communication. Oh. The right. borehole. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pot- potentially a form of food delivery. I don't know. Um who knows? Maybe there's eight cat cave algae and dirt. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> 68 days. Um, so now I thought form of communication and I was like, genuinely, like, what on earth am I going to do this on? Because, like, I'm not going to talk about the invention of the telephone. I could. That would actually be kind of cool to know. However, I was, like, just Googling communication, communication, and then I got onto like, different types of like relationship communication or just like not necessarily like romantic, but like just in terms of people and their relationships and communicating with others. Um, so I, I talked about that and then I, I talked about that. I looked into that, sorry. <laughs> and then um, manipulation came up. And so manipulative con- communication um and what that kind of looks like, and so using tactics of manipulation. Oh my god, is this what you're talking about? Tactics of manipulation? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I I gave you the hint manipulation, but like <laughs> that's exactly what I have. Really? Manipulation tactics for relationships. Okay, that's your next one. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. That's not what I'm talking about. Oh. But. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Okay, but we can get there. We can get there. We'll get there. Um, so um, I wanted to talk about... Okay, so I figured out something called... I didn't figure out. I learned about something called a Ponzi scheme or Ponzi scheme. Never now, a Ponzi, Okay, a Ponzi scheme spelled P-O-N-Z-I. It's like Ponda Replay, but like Ponzi. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ponzi Replay. Um, so this... Okay, so it's kind of... It's a scheme that involves fraud um, and and money. Um, so essentially, a Ponzi scheme is a fraudulent investment scheme that promises high returns to investors, but operates by using capital of new investors, so money. Okay, so Sarah McCullum, would you like to invest in my business? It's called Kale Power Smoothies. 
and it's really good. Um, we have, you know, I, I'm going to give you a good return on your money. Um, you know, it's a really low risk investment. Yes. Would you like to invest? Yes. Okay, great. You give me money. Uh-huh. <clears throat> now, instead of actually having a good business and using that money toward the business as normal businesses do with stocks, I just simply rec- recruit more members I keep on going to person to person to person getting their money and giving their money to the person ahead of them in line. So say I just went to you and now I'm going to go to another friend and I take that friend's money and give it to you. And so you think that you're making money off of my business when in reality you're just getting money from them. So, which is kind of different. I've never thought about like something. how are you getting money? I don't quite know. I don't quite know. I think that... Part of it too is like once you get enough and this, I'm about to tell you about the Trevor Cook Ponzi scheme. That was um, one of the guy's names. I believe there was two of them, Trevor Cook and Patrick Kiley. Um, I believe they just take a portion of the money that they're returning to the investors. So, but they must have got a whole lot of people. So this, these two people, Trevor Cook and Patrick Kiley orchestrated a Ponzi scheme centered around foreign exchange trading. So they operated under various names in the U.S., um, including U.S. Ventures, um, Universal Brokerage Services, to attract the investors. Me talking as if I know anything about like <laughs> stocks. <laughs> so they were like, okay, investors, don't worry. Your money will be pooled, invested in the foreign exchange market, um, and claiming that they could generate substantial returns. I'm so intellectual right now. Definitely not reading a paragraph that I I tried to write based off my research. Um, So they said, you know, your your principal investments, what you put into this initially, is completely safe. Profits are going to be great. So in reality, only a small fraction of the money was used for foreign exchange trading. So they did actually um, do some trading like or whatever, I don't know how that works. They did put some money toward the legitimate business just to put like keep a front up, but the majority was used to fund the two men's lavish lifestyles. Um, so yeah, they they use people's money, like I said, to pay the the people that had invested before them. Um, classic Ponzi scheme, you know, <laughs> you know me and how I love my Ponzi schemes. So. Now, let me look. I actually had the amount of money that um, they they were eventually caught. Spoiler alert. Um, but, so just give me a second. I'm going to pull it up because I didn't have it written down. Um, I just want to, you know, have all the facts in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, totally. So... So I'm... So he was a money manager from Minneapolis. Um, now, over this... Over the course of this, so I don't know how long they were doing this for. When did they start it? Let me see if I have that here. I don't. Um, so actually, no, okay, I don't. So the scheme collapsed because it could be, uh, as they all do, because it, it become you can only get so many people to invest in your business, right? Mm, yeah. Um, technically, you, you, like, you know, it's infinite, technically, but realistically there's only going to be like a a big wave usually only once or however many times and then it's just gonna 
dwindle down. Um, so they had no more people to pay the people. So the financial crisis apparently hit that I don't remember because I was seven in 2008. <laughs> they then struggled to attract new investors and cover the returns promised to earlier ones, as I just said. But that was a more concise way of saying that. So um, Trevor Cook and Patrick Kiley, they ended up making um, over $190 million dollars. Um, through this, so it might oh be saying I was new business. Um, um, $190 million they had scammed off of people. Um, now, Trevor Cook was sentenced to 25 years in to- 2010. Patrick Kiley was, I guess, I don't know if he was a secondhand man or what, but he was, he got a 20 year prison sentence. And they were both ordered to pay restitution to their victims, which, I'm guessing, based off of my vast knowledge of legal terms, for sure, 100%, I definitely know that restitution means they're they're paying back their initial, I don't know, money, which... No, it I mean, makes sense. But if they spent the entire, I don't know how much, but they, they were, like, lavish, they were traveling, they were, like, going all out, like, living it up to the nines, you know? So that is a Ponzi scheme. It's a form of manipulation. And now, um, as Sarah's previously, you know, foreshadowed (coughs) with my hint of manipulation, she's going to be talking about. Um, Yeah. So this is a new segment I'm actually starting. Um, It's called How to Know if You're Being Manipulated in Your Relationships. Um, Okay. (laughs) um, This will probably be the only time I ever do it. But if I ever come across anything... (laughs) Anything else about manipulation, then, you know, we'll definitely circle back. Um, Of course. Yeah. So um, essentially, I'm going to be talking about two um, forms of manipulation that I, um, I guess, knew about, but never knew they had like a designated name. And then I'm going to be talking about the four stages of manipulation. So if, you know, you're listening to this and you're thinking about, you know, like that happens a lot in Mm -hmm. my relationships, whether that be with your parents, your friends, your partner, um, your great uncle, (laughs) like whatever it may be. Definitely a great uncle for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So the first thing, um, the first tactic you might say is called moving the goalpost. Now, this is when essentially your, I'm just going to say partner, um, just for now. Whether that means platonically or romantically. Yeah, Yeah. whoever, um, has, is constantly elevating their expectations for you to the point where you're never satisfying them because you're, you're just unable to meet the goal. So for an example... Say I cook Kale a really nice dinner. You know, he comes home from a long day at work, and I'm like, "Here, Rusty, here's have some craft dinner." Honestly, yeah, here's some craft dinner. And then Kale's like, "Oh, well, like, where's dessert?" (laughs) And then I'm like, "Okay, so now Kale's like not happy." because he wants dessert and so then I make him dessert you know because I'm I feel bad like I'm being made to feel bad even though I just did something nice Mm -hmm. so that's kind of an example of moving the goalposts so they're always essentially you're never doing enough for your partner and you're always made to feel bad even though you've done good things Mm -hmm. 
So that is the first um, kind of tactic. Yeah. Take second, note, everyone. Just kidding. Second <laughs> tactic is called triangulation, um, okay. which basically means so we have a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> it's Love you, it. your partner, and then all of a sudden there's a. Th- <laughs> all of a sudden there's a. All of a sudden there's a third person that comes in to the picture whenever you're arguing. Okay. So your partner might always be blaming their own actions on someone else to make it look like oh, okay. that's the reason why they acted the way they did, you know? <clears throat> so yeah. if I get in a fight with Kale, I did something totally messed up, but I'm like, oh no, I did that because my mom made me mad that day and I was so annoyed at her and that's why I did it. But that's like me not taking responsibility for my own actions. Right. Right. So if your partner is always blaming their moods on someone else. Red flag. Red flag. It's time to move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily move on, but you could have a no, conversation. But, you know, have a con- converse with them and let them know that they're a manipulating narcissist. Just Especially yes. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about the four stages of manipulation, just so you know you can identify it a little bit better. Of course. So the first stage is flattery. So this is when your partner's, you know, trying to flatter you. They really want you to like them. They're doing all this cute stuff for you, you know, all the cute relationship things you do, honeymoon phase. Um, That's the first (laughs) step. Might be a little bit, you know, excessive. But you're, right. you're into it. It's working. They're capturing your attention. Um, the second stage of manipulation is isolation. So now that they have your attention by doing all this lovely stuff for you, they start mm-hmm. isolating you from like your friends and family because they only want you to be spending time with them. Right. And I should like I'm just going to butt in here. Like there's a butt healthy form any of time. Yeah. <laughs> there's a healthy form I feel like of of like isolation and like that's kind of expected when you get into a relationship like of course you know as you enter a relationship maybe you'll you know you should still be doing stuff with your friends but at the same time like I mean there's I'm talking rom- like romantic relationship this could be a friend or whatever too mm-hmm. but like you know obviously if you have a best friend if you have a if you have a partner you're going to spend uh you know quite a bit more time with them than you would just your normal friends um but that that can be done in a healthy way while still seeing your friends, and that can be kind of like your decision too. Whereas what mm-hmm. you're talking about is like an unhealthy, they're kind of pushing. Yeah, it, I'm right? talking more so like it's evident, like the partner's making it evident, like they don't want you seeing friends. Yeah, of course, of course. Versus like you just collectively kind of, you know, being like, okay, let's just spend time together. You know, yeah, um, yeah. So that is the second stage. Third stage is devaluing and gaslighting. I'm sure many of us are aware um, about, you know, gaslighting, but devaluing, um, like devaluing your feelings. So like um, they might tell you like, oh, you're making me unhappy by not seeing me enough or whatever, making you feel bad, essentially. Right, right. Um, for doing things, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Anyway, so final stage of manipulation is 
fear of violence. So hopefully, you know, it never gets to this stage. Um, but people might be, your partner might begin to threaten you. Yeah. Um, or hurt you for yeah. doing things that they don't agree with, um, which is in itself another form of manipulation because they're threatening you and then you're going to feel like you did something wrong. Um, when it wasn't you. But it wasn't you, yeah. <clears throat> wow. Um, I think that's a, that's a really important... Yeah. Super important to talk about, like, just being open and honest and, like... It's like, you know, I, I genuinely enjoyed, not enjoyed hearing about that, but like I did because it, you know, it's a, it's something that I'm sure as you looked into it, you're like, okay, people on the podcast, the listeners might benefit from knowing this. And so that's, that's cool that you went with that. You rolled with that. Yeah. Um, and then you gave me the hint, um, argument. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think initially sense. you gave... Yeah, you gave me either, you gave me two, I think, and then I, I just didn't roll with, I don't know if I didn't roll with um, gaslighting. Did you give me gaslighting? Because I, I, oh, I had maybe. a big like spiel where I re- researched gaslighting stuff, but then. No, it was definitely argument, I gave. Okay, I know. Yeah, that's what I went with anyway. Um, you gave me the hint argument. Um, and so this, this is kind of like a very, a very interesting argument. Um in, now, in 2011, on the Indonesian island of Sulawesi, definitely said that wrong, um, there was a monkey. This monkey was a, a crested black macaque, um, and it was known as Naruto. It didn't probably have a name before this, but like after the fact, it was called Naruto. Um, now, this monkey grabbed a hold of this camera owned by wildlife photographer David Slater to take a series of selfies. Have you heard of this story? No. <laughs> okay, neither had I, so it's kind of interesting. Now, the images, particularly one that we'll post on the Instagram so you can see it, are actually, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll post it, but like this whole story <laughs> is centered around an argument about copyright. Um, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll see. We'll post maybe some way we'll find a way to post it particularly one where Naruto appeared to be grinning at the camera, so this particular photo, um, quickly gained global attention. This is a really cute picture. It's like, ah. Um, they were wi- widely shared on the internet and even featured in various publications. Now, this led to a legal dispute that I've never heard of before over the copyright of the photos. Now, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, otherwise known as PETA, you might have heard of them before, you know they're they're very anti animal testing et cetera et cetera. They filed a lawsuit on behalf of Naruto the monkey, arguing that since the monkey took the photo physically, the monkey should be the rightful owner of the copyright now <laughs> like reading that, you kind of just like like you think to yourself, well, it's a human made construct copyright, so shouldn't it be? Only humans that, you know, are able to, yeah. like, I, that's such a, that's such an interesting thing because like wildlife photography exists. I'm sure every elephant that gets photographed mm-hmm. isn't like, yeah. you know, entitled. <laughs> so 
Um, but Peter was like, no, we're taking you. Like, I don't know if they actually went to court. They must have. Yeah, they did go to court. Um, so David Slater, the, the wildlife photographer, argued that he had set up the camera and composed the shot. I, I'm guessing like just, you know, turned on the camera, made it all. I don't know. And therefore that made him the rightful copyright owner. He also pointed out that he invested significant time, effort, and expense in getting close to the bir- the birds, the monkeys, and in setting up the equipment. Now, you know, this is kind of an interesting, interesting argument that because, is weird. like, yeah. Now, six years later, it took them six whole years. Whether this was ongoing or you know, as court usually is, it's like, oh, we'll meet in a couple months, and then they stall, and then a couple mm-hmm. months, and. You know, I'm not sure if it's every court everywhere, but anyway, in 2017, a settlement was reached. Now, David Slater, who probably was just fed up by this point, agreed to donate 25% of any future revenue from the images to charities dedicated to protecting crested black macaques in Indonesia. Now, this decision affects... Okay, well, this sentence here said... Okay, yeah, this decision effectively avoided avoided setting a legal precedent regarding animal copyright. So since they didn't go through a formal court judgment um, because he agreed to donate, like, what? Like, could you imagine your camera, like, you're, you're just taking pictures of monkeys and one of them grabs it, takes a selfie, and then, oh, my gosh, because, like, he would have... He's the one that got the camera back. It's not like the monkey posted it onto its yeah. <laughs> Instagram account. He's the one that published his photo. And just because it went viral, everyone was like, huh, the monkey took the photo. Monkey gets... Like, what is a monkey going to do? Like, copyright is usually about, like... I know it's protecting, like, you know, artistic, whatever. Not not necessarily artistic. But still, but like, it's like a monkey. Like, property. Who has the time? And what does that benefit the monkey? To, like, the monkey doesn't even know that it took a picture of itself. It just knew that it grabbed onto this. It probably forgot about it by six years, but, like, it just knew that it grabbed onto this camera and took a picture. Wild, right? Probably didn't even mean to take a picture. I, I, right? It definitely didn't. Like, obviously, it's like, just, <laughs> it's not, I don't know if there was a timer set or if the monkey just was like, oh, like, fumbling with it, but, like, the picture's so cute. I'll send it to his hair after this episode, and then, um... And then we'll maybe see about posting it. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, if you want to see it right now, just head to our Instagram because that it should be up. And if That's not, just Google it. That's a funny story, it. though. I thought it was kind of cool. And so I, I was, I was, I felt like I just w- shouldn't give you the word monkey because I was like, I, I felt like it was going to be another, you know, Jessica in the well kind of situation where you'd come up, you'd be like searching for cool monkey stories. I don't know, or facts or. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then it somehow, you know, so I just said non-human, honestly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I have two things I want to talk about here. Um, the first thing is skinwalkers. I didn't know what a skinwalker was. <laughs> I didn't know what a skinwalker was before actually, like, looking into this. Like, I heard of it, like, skinwalker, but I thought I literally just pictured, like, a body, like a skeleton almost with, like, Okay, I can think of. Okay, of yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna get into it, but I. Okay, I'm thinking of two different things, and I I don't know if one of them actually is a skinwalker. I think there's like a creepy pasta skinwalker, and then I think there's like 
Okay, you can. I'll just let you. T- well, maybe you. you're right because no, but the, the thing that I went huh about, I'll explain after the fact if that's what you're going to explain. Um, um, one of one of the two skinwalkers makes me go huh. The other one, not so much, but it's still kind of interesting. Well, you see, I didn't know there was two, so you can elaborate on this. Okay, I'll um, let you go first. Though. Okay, so I have here that a skinwalker, according to. The Navajo legend is a shape shape shifting witches that disguise. I think it's themselves. is it Navajo? Oh, maybe. Sorry, I just I feel like I've heard it. <laughs> I don't okay. know how to say it. Um, Navajo legend: shape shifting witches that disguise themselves as deformed animals. Okay, so that is the version that I'm gonna talk. I'm like referring to, and that's the version that makes me go "huh" because the pictures of these things. Yeah. Creepy. Okay, wait. Yeah. So then what's the other version? The other version like that I thought actually could be referred to as skinwalkers. Um, you know how people are like there's reptiles that are politicians? Yeah. And that they wear like the skin. Yeah. But they're like or aliens that are you know what I mean? Yeah. And like technically those to me could also be skinwalkers because you know they're not True, human, yeah. but they're wearing skin of like they look like they're human. <laughs> so I just didn't know which way we were going with that, but like I'm glad that you went the the more creepy, the creepy I mean, way. I shouldn't say creepy pasta, Navajo legend, I'm not sure. Are they a indigenous tribe? Or maybe it's just I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um cuz yeah, I read so some traditions believe that skinwalkers are born of a medicine man who abuses indigenous magic for evil. Um, okay. And so it's believed that a man, woman, or child can become a skinwalker should they commit any kind of deep-seated taboo. Um, so obviously a lot of people think this is like a hoax because like, you know, the whole idea of like, Actual deformities what 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 are you talking what did you just say sorry i cut you off the like idea of what like a lot of people think it's like kind of a hoax because like obviously the whole idea of like someone like shape-shifting into like a skinwalker <laughs> but are they talking about the like like maybe you're gonna get to this but like are they talking about incest sorry that's you know, know very very <laughs> taboo topic sure and it's you know Nothing that we should ever talk about lightly, but I'm talking about like technically, like you know, children born or offspring born from incestual or like close familial sexual encounters relationships um, often have deformities. I'm like, is like just because of the genetic? I'm not sure if it's genetic mutations or what happens, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, I didn't like, read about it, but... No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, I wonder if that's what they're kind of basing it off of, too, or, like... Okay, but continue. Could be. Um, Could be, of course. Of course. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, a lot of people, probably most people, are, like, skinwalker, like, as if that's real. But, um... It said that most people are skinwalkers? No. <laughs> oh, most people to this day <laughs> oh are like as if it's real as if it's real yes but there have been a lot of like skinwalker sightings um so the one that i read about was like this family who lived on a farm and they had obviously farm animals um and the dad was out one night walking his dog and he said that he's seen a werewolf but like it was not like 
a werewolf. Like he described it as being like a literal human in werewolf form who was basically like about to attack. (laughs) Who was basically like, I obviously can't describe it well. Like, I mean, obviously you had to be there. But like he said, it was the most traumatizing thing he's ever seen in his life. And like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I just That's... thought that was interesting because I really didn't know, like, what a skinwalker was. It's just kind of something that I'd heard. Right. When I say, when I think of skinwalker, like, that's kind of what I, like, I mean, yeah, I just think of some weird deformed creature. But I didn't know, like, that kind of backstory or that people, you know, or, yeah. like, that people believed that they were they're created from doing, committing taboo acts. Which is interesting because it's, like, I know, like, you know, there's biblical and you know, ancient whatever wisdom and texts that describe, you know, what's moral, what's immoral. But, like, largely those are man-made. So, like, who's to say that, like, you know, you know, society, things that are taboo are up to the the culture. So it's like, you know, who turns the people? Anyway, who t- who deforms um, the people? Yeah, so then this is just like kind of something cool I found. So I found this website and it's called Non Human Entities. (laughs) Non Human Um, Entities. And it's really cool. It has like a whole list of things that are considered non human. So it has like one of them is called horned beings, like things with horns, Um, ghosts, interdimensional beings, zombies. And it gives you, like, there's 35 different things on here. And it gives you, like, all the explanations of what these things are. So I thought it was, like, kind of cool. That's all I wanted to say about that. I just thought it was an interesting website. Of course. Shout out to the creators of that website. Um, Please write in to us. No, yeah. Um, It also starts with gmail.com. Um. Yeah, and then I think... Sorry, I'm burping a lot over here. You gave me the hint animal next. <clears throat> Is that all you had to say, sorry? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you gave me the hint animal. And now I've seen this one a couple times and doing some research um, for the previous episode. Somehow along the way, I th- I'm guessing maybe I just was like thinking of stories or I'm not sure if we... No, maybe, I, I don't know. Anyway, so... Have you seen the or heard about the Great Emu War of 1932? I've never. <laughs> okay, okay. Good, because me neither, except for that one time. But this is the first time that I actually kind of looked into it. So, um, the Emu War. So we're going right back to Australia. Um, shout out Emily LeHoulier. <laughs> we love you. was a peculiar event that took place in 1932. It was essentially a conflict between Australian soldiers and a large population of emus. Now, these are just a jog of memory. They're flightless birds. I believe they just look like ostriches, um, and they're native to the continent. Um, now, the background of this war was that after World War I, many Australian veterans were given land to farm in Western Australia. You know, after they you know, weren't so involved in the war, they could actually just get back to their normal lives for the time being. Now, however, these farmers now veterans were hit hard by the Great Depression. To make matters worse, a huge number of emus migrated to the area. <laughs> now, these emus started seeking food and water, but they and they began to damage the crops of the already struggling farmers. 
So in November of 1932, the government, the Australian government, sent soldiers led by Major G.P.W. Meredith, armed with two machine guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition to, quote, deal with the emu problem. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the soldiers were tasked with, you know, just not not necessarily wiping out the emu population, but getting it back into controllable, just warding them off, right? Like, they don't have to completely massacre the emus but like um two machine guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition to do whatever they please now this task proved to be much more difficult than they anticipated um as emu are fast agile and have an impressive ability to evade gunfire now they they started to scatter they started to scatter in different directions now these are large birds but they i guess they have quite the quite the quick reflexes so they have they would scatter in different directions, making it harder for the soldiers to effectively target them. And as a result, even though there were a few successful kills, the emus largely eluded capture or being killed. Now, media coverage of the war quickly turned the operation into a source of mockery and amusement, like naturally, because here are all these soldiers just I mean, of course it's you know, it's one thing. Obviously your your crops are you know, being diminished by this population of wildlife. But it just, people were just so amused by, you know, like newspapers ran headlines that were like, emu invincible or like emu war, feathered commandos defeat humans, (laughs) like all this and that. And so like everyone started to criticize the operation, but also like just, they were completely just like, what is this? I'm just Googling what what an emu looks like. I believe, just confirm with me. Oh my God, it's like a big bird. yeah, they're literally like what? ostriches. I thought it was a, like a deer-looking thing. Oh no, emus are like ostrich birds. Oh my birds. god, <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay, like what? Um, so just a few weeks after it started, um, the government was like, "Okay, um, we're gonna just withdraw the soldiers and the campaign. Um, it's considered a failure now." Um, and yeah, what a what a piece of Australian history, honestly. That the the anniversary is coming up and. What nine years now? I bet they're gonna have a big old, big old national shindig. emu, a big old shindig <laughs> on those firms. Um, so as that was a failure, I decided to give to Sarah the hint failure. I think was that the one yeah. that we rolled with? Okay. Yeah. Um. So this was hard because I was like, like so many failures. Thinking? Oh yeah. Right. Um. So. I'm going to be talking about three benefits of failing. Oh, um, <laughs> this is important. It doesn't get talked about enough, I feel like. Okay, please I, go. Yeah. So um, the first thing is failure keeps us hungry and humble. <laughs> so I love it. By hungry, obviously failing at something especially something you really want, I feel like makes you work harder mm, Yeah. Um, for it in a sense. So it kind of keeps you like motivated to work towards whatever goals you have. Initially it might make you be like, okay, but, but also like keeps you humble. Cause like mm-hmm. everyone fails doing, right. doing different Everything. things at some point in their life. Um, so it's kind of just something, it kind of just reminds you, like, it's something that everyone goes through. 
And at the end of the day, like, your failures don't really determine who you are as a person. Because, like, everyone's going through it. Correct. That's such an important message. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm not being sarcastic. I genuinely mean it. I genuinely mean it. It's very profound, Sarah. I'm, I'm proud of you for sharing that wisdom. No, yeah. Okay, second point. Second point is it makes us more valuable, um, not teachers, but like, I guess it kind of helps us yeah, to give mentors. advice better. Yeah. Yeah. Mentors. Because, um, yeah, if you fail at something, then you're able to kind of relate to someone who might be failing at the same thing or just might be going through failure in general. And you can kind of, you know, talk them through that and say like, yeah, I've experienced lots of failure, but I'm still, you know. I'm still breathing. I'm, I'm alive. alive. <laughs> Anyways, essentially, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you're still going. You're still moving forward. And they can, too. <clears throat> of course they can. Yes. And, um, oh, okay. I guess I kind of have four. So. Helps us overcome fear and teaches us lessons. Okay. Because a lot of people are scared of failure. So scared. Because it is scary. But people think it's the end of the world. That's I mean, unless you're like, you know, you're, you accidentally press the the button to annihilate all life on earth and pretty sure it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No one's ever thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) presses a button right now Um, Uh. but yeah if you're if you fail at something and then you end up being okay then you kind of overcame that fear by realizing like failure isn't really that like it's not that deep essentially it's not that deep like it you know and it might be in the moment you might think oh well this failure is going to set me back like I failed to get into this program. Now I have to wait another year before I can apply. Or like, I didn't get that job. I I failed to talk to somebody. So I'm not, you know, I lost my chance of doing this. But it's like, no, you didn't. Just try, try again. Yeah. And teaches you life lessons because it's important to learn what to do. But it's also important to learn what not to do. So failure can help you be better the next time mm-hmm. around. Of course. Of course um, it can. And yeah. <laughs> Those are just some tips. Um, you're you're all in it with the tips today. First, we have the tips of manipulation. Now we have tips of failure and how to it rework. It was really like a that. tippy day for me. Oh my gosh! And you um, said that there wasn't an underlying kind of theme. I mean, like you know, ultimately. Well, the next one is kind of. <laughs> okay, okay, um, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I mean, Do you like the, the next hint? one after yours. No, yeah, of course. The I mean, mine gave you. Okay. I have it here, but do you want to? Let me see if I remember it. it. Yeah, little test. Do 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 do. What did I say? I said you said friends with. Oh, I said benefits. The benefits of failure. Benefits. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. You said benefits. Now, I ended up resorting in a cult. Now, you might think, how do cults and benefits relate to one another? But there are perceived benefits of joining a cult, and that's why people join cults, right? Right. 
So I, I I feel like I've heard of this cult before, but I I just I don't know if I I mean all cults are kind of similar in their structure and and things like that. But like I just wanted to briefly touch on this one cult case. Um, it's called the Nixium cult. Have you heard of it or Nexium? I guess I've never. It's spelled like N X I U M, and it's pronounced Nexium. Although I just said Nixium ten times, but same difference. Um, now the perceived benefits. So this, at its height, this was late nineties, I believe. Um, Nexium Nexium had hundreds of members, um, including those directly involved in its programs and those associated with its uh, groups and companies. Now, there's one member who's I'm not sure. There must have been multiple, but she spoke out. Her name is Sarah. Mc- I'm just kidding. Her name is Sarah <laughs> Edmondson. Sarah Edmondson. Um, she is was from. Where was she from? She was a Canadian actress. And um, so, so okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Nexium was an organization founded by Keith Rainier in the late 1990s. It presented itself as a self-help and personal development group, kind of like this podcast, um, attracting individuals seeking personal growth and empowerment. Now, Sarah Edmondson, a Canadian actress, um, joined the organization with the belief that it would help her improve her life and achieve, you know, some personal goals. So... Now, this is where it gets to the benefits, right? Like, this Keith person is usually one head kind of leader. Um, they start to manipulate you. They start to take you through all those stages of manipulation. Um, but but oftentimes, I don't know if... I don't really think that it was this case particularly. Oftentimes, there's, um, you know, religious influences. You know, the the person will be pretend to be this religious messiah i guess or like you know i am i i know when the second Mm, coming of christ is and you must do this to you know etc etc and that's what usually you know is a lot of people are afraid of dying or are religious and you know they want to do everything that they can to be good go by the book um now regardless of whether that was part of this or not i don't know but this cult eventually a secretive subgroup emerged um I'm guessing that he started called um, DOS or DOS um, stood for Dominus Obsequious Sororium. Now this is kind of this is kind of like funny. Not funny. It's not funny, but it translates to Master over the slave women. So I don't know if nobody looked into that or <laughs> or if they knew what it was, but they just were like, okay, he's master. Whatever. I'm sure he. You know, he wouldn't just call it that if you know. It was such a red flag. It looks like a red flag looking back, but probably at the time it wasn't. Um, now, these members of this of this cult, they didn't think it was a cult, this group, were required to provide collateral, which often ex- included explicit and damaging information, information about themselves or their loved ones. And this collateral was used as a means of control and ensured obedience. Um, so it operated on a system of extreme control and submission, Members were subjected to strict diets, intense physical training, often sleep-deprived. Sleep deprivation is one thing that if you ever think you're in a cult, ask yourself, how much am I sleeping? Because chances are, if there's some form of sleep deprivation, that's a tactic that is used to like get people to comply. Um, Sim- okay, similar side story. Also, Sarah, I know you have a supper to go to in 20 minutes, so please cut me off. If we're running shorter, we can finish well, this can episode after. Going. Okay, okay. I just didn't know if you had to, you know. Um, good, yeah. So, 
Now, this isn't going to take me 20 minutes, but, um, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so quick funny story time. I've never, hi mom, if you're listening, I never told you this because I didn't think, I didn't want you to think I was an irresponsible um, person. But on New Year's last year, um, I was having a few drinks, you know, with some friends that I invited over for New Year's. And Sarah was there, um, Jillian, who we had on the podcast, Hannah, who we um, will have in the future on the podcast. Um, I'm trying to think who else was all there. There were some other people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there were, well, obviously there were more people. I'm just trying to think of, like, in terms of guests that the, the listeners might know. Um, or that will soon know once we introduce Hannah. But regardless, sorry, I'm burping. I ate a lot of supper. Yum. Um, regardless, I eventually, we went to go to, I don't know why we didn't end up going out. Do you remember? Or what happened? Because we went to go out, out to a bar and then... We ended up turning back around and going back to the apartment once we were across the street. Was it that it was rain or I don't know. No, that I don't was remember. New Year's. Uh, I, I thought it was, was yes. It was New Year's. We were gonna go out to the club and then we just weren't feeling it. I don't know, but so we went we went across the street and right across the street from my apartment is a bar. And so there was there was this interesting I don't know how we got to talking. Mind you, I was under the influence at the time, had a few drinks in me. My social, you know, I like to talk a lot. My social butterfly that usually doesn't come out for random strangers on the sidewalk, but I don't know what alerted me to her. She just started chatting it up with us as we, were, as we were standing there, probably debating whether to go to the bar or not. We weren't going to that bar, but that's not the point. Eventually, I was like, hey, I live across the street. Like, come back to the apartment. Um, and if you're listening to this, I'm not going to mention your name because, you know, of course, I don't know your last name, but regardless, I think it's just, you know, good to promote, you know, confidentiality. Um, but long story short, um, this girl ended up coming over and she told us all her life story and about how she was raised in a cult um, in this province that I'm currently in, um, Nova Scotia. As I, I said that so elusively, but... Nova Scotia and just so that that made me think of her so shout out to you I hope you're doing well if you're listening that's <laughs> great and if not that's probably for the best um, but we had a good time um, and she eventually just left like it wasn't like a big she didn't try to she didn't like you know what microchip night. us and what a night it was so we met someone that grew up in a cult so they do exist is my point of all that and it's not just people that are, you know, when you think of cults, you think, oh my gosh, what gullible people. But like, ultimately, these are people that, you know, you could probably, you, Sarah McCollum, would probably jo join a cult for the right reasons. Or like, if you genuinely believed that yeah. something, oh yeah, Sarah's like, I'm already in five. Don't got to ask me twice. Yeah. Um, now back to the um, DOS, the dose, the Nexium. Um, now these people were also isolated from friends and family. Someone's in manipulation, <laughs> creating a dependency <laughs> on the group. Then they were gaslit. Um, members were made to manipulation. <laughs> no, because <laughs> members were made to believe that the extreme practices and demands were for their own benefit and personal growth. Um, any doubts or concerns were dismissed, and the dissent was met with accusations of not being committed enough. So Sarah's like, I want to sleep. Um, I don't agree with my strict diet, everything X, Y, Z. Um, and they're like, no, well, you're just not committing fully. Like, do you want success or not? 
Um, so this one girl, Sarah Edmondson, began to question the group's practices. She eventually reached a breaking point when she and other members were branded with Keith Rainier's initials, KR, without their knowledge or consent. Um, branding, in case you don't know, you know, hot iron. Ah. Um, that's the very spark notes edition of that, but it's more tra- trauma- traumatizing than that. Not me just completely undercutting it. Now, Edmondson and several other former members decided to speak out about their experiences and expose the abusive practices within Nexium. Now, Keith Rainier was eventually in 2019 convicted on charges including sex trafficking, forced labor conspiracy, and racketeering. Sarah, do you know what racketeering is? No. I, I was like, I kind of guessed it because I was like, I think racketeering is just basically, I Googled it after the fact, but like I, not to just be like, oh, I knew what racketeering was. Um, but it's just basically any form of like manipulation into acquiring large amounts of funds oh. from people. Um, and like repetitive too. That's often happens in calls. So he was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Um, and did I say that this all occurred? I don't think I did. In so it occurred, it started in Albany, New York, um, but it operated in various locations across the country, including centers in New York, California, other states. Also had international branches in countries like Mexico and Canada. So um, it cults are real, y'all. And there's so many different ones. Jonestown, Ch- not Charles Manson. Yeah, Charles Manson. Trying to think. There's so many others. Anyway. Um, so that was my story about right. benefits of joining a cult and why you should join a cult. Um, so I gave up? you, yeah, where do I sign <laughs> up? Nexium 2, hosted by It All Started with a Light Bulb. Um, I gave you the hint extreme because that scenario is quite extreme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, okay, so this is funny. So I had no idea where to go with this. Um, <laughs> Like, no idea. And so I was like, oh, my God. Um, like, extreme pizza is, like, cool. Um, wait, what? Like, the pizza? Yeah, so I'm going to be talking like, wait. about... <laughs> like, extreme pizza? Like, what? Yeah. Like, the company? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You texted me the next hint, and that was pizza, because you thought that we had to keep going after this. And I was like, oh, my God, I love extreme pizza. Just oh, being I thought funny, you were, like, much- cluing into the fact that I was going to be talking about extreme pizza. No, I didn't. I just was like, oh, that's so funny that I said extreme, and then you're saying pizza now. But I genuinely love extreme pizza, so please, please yeah, dive I'm just in. Gonna, um, it's a kind of a short point. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm going to be talking about Todd Parent, who is the CEO of Extreme Pizza, and how he came to kind is of... Is it a Todd Parent? I'm hoping it's Todd Parent. I was actually just looking at it and wondering if the last name autocorrected to Parent. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that last name, but like maybe it's Parent. Like, who knows? Oh, Sarah's could be. Qu- I'll double check quick- real quick. Oh, of course, of course. I love. Now, is it, do you know if it's a, is it a chain or is it just, you said CEO, which makes me think it's like, I know it's doing well, pretty CEO, good. CEO, maybe like creator. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean like it has to be some giant like organization. Yeah, of course. CEO, um, extreme. Da 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 da, pizza, pizza. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Todd Parent, yeah. Parent. Todd Parent. Todd Parent. Parent. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Todd wanted to start a biz- business 
He yes. was obviously into food. Um, and the name Extreme Pizza actually came from the fact that he played like extreme sports. So he did really? a lot of like, water sports. I think I didn't write it down, but I think I read like he did water skiing. Um, wow. And yeah, so he he did extreme sports. Isn't it cool to just like know little facts like this? I did not um, know that. He did extreme sports. And at the time he was at a culinary academy and he was taking like a pizza course. So his friend was like, you do extreme sports. You're taking a pizza course. Why don't you open an extreme pizza? Wow. And that's how it came about. Because originally he wanted to open up like a crepe spot. Like that oh, was his wow. original plan. That would have been good um, too, extreme crepes. Mm, he should right? do that. Um, but yeah, then he ended up opening the pizza spot. And the first like place it opened was... Um, 5970 Spring Garden Road. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you know when? Fillmore Street in San Francisco. I don't. I should have put the in year. In San Francisco? Yeah. What? Yeah. Do you, oh, is it still there? So wait, wait. Are you talking about Extreme Pizza Halifax, or are you just talking about a completely different company called Extreme Pizza? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> well, like, said what, there how, was like is, multiple locations around the world. Is it spelt like X T R E M E? I don't know. It's not written like that. <laughs> Did you, did you think it's the one in Halifax, though? I thought it was, like, the one, like, yeah, like, the one that's... <laughs> <laughs> Close to wait, though, campus. I don't know, because it said there was multiple locations. But this one's not saying that there's multiple locations. It just says, I'm on their website right now, because I love this pizza spot. If you're in Halifax, call them up. Their phone number is 902-404-1600. pizza. <laughs> well, still, that's so super cool. Maybe this one has... <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny, though. <laughs> okay, um... I wow though okay but extreme pizza Halifax I love their hot chicken tamale pizza it has pizza sauce hot sauce spicy chicken red onions jalapenos hot peppers matzah and cheddar cheese and I'm not talking like like I think there's I'm I'm trying to think does it have actual nacho cheese I forget if that's another one wow their okay, pizzas this is are funny so they're good. definitely different pizza places oh wait <laughs> wait what wait there's an X on the pizza box though. Wait, oh, hmm, that is a mystery. Hold the phone, everybody. We're looking into this extreme pizza, extreme pizza, extreme pizza. Very good pizza spot, though, honestly. Um, I really enjoy it because I'm looking at it right now. Extreme pizza. Interesting. Cause, wait, extreme pizza. I see another website, extreme pizza. But that oh, looks yeah, like it's, it's definitely a different spot. Oh no! It's only located but, in the states. Ah, uh, Sarah, just that's fine. That's fine. That's probably why this extreme pizza, like, like branded itself as like extreme pizza with it. <laughs> well, anyways, Todd Parent, if you're listening, congrats on the business. <laughs> please, <laughs> please write in um, and distinguish your your business from the one, the beloved extreme pizza of Halifax. The late night carryout joint offering classic pies, subs, and other casual eats in a tiny, unfussy space. That's what they said on their Google. I love it. 
So go support your local pizza businesses or chain restaurants um, if you're a fan of Todd Parent's business. But with that said, I'm really glad that that episode, you know, ended in a really well-rounded spot, super informed research (laughs) spot. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, Before we do end it, though, I want to um, thank you, Sarah. Just kidding, I'm not thanking you. We're we're co-hosts. I want to... I want us to do our bop of the week because I wrote it down in my in my notes. Do you yeah, have one yet? I have okay. It yet. She has it ready to go. You want to go first? So my bop of the week is Revolver by Madonna. This one's it, been my the, bop of my whole life. It's it's the remix that you like though, no? Oh yeah, I always forget it's the remix version. Let me see which version. I could pull it up if you don't have it handy. Revolver. My love's a revolver. Okay, hold on, because it's a remix version that Sarah really likes. Um, revolver, maybe not though. Okay, it's the Madonna versus David Guetta One Love remix, right? Or maybe not. Regardless, we'll put it. You can find it in our um, playlist linked in our Instagram bio. Um, yeah, it's that my- one. Okay, love it. Love to see it. Mine is actually, um, I, I listened to it for the first time today. I was going to say a different one, but I was like, you know what? Let's do something fun, fresh. Um, I love Charlotte Cardin. Why do I feel like I mentioned her? In the, I did. Wait, she was, was she my Bop of the Week last week? I think she was. One of the, okay, she was my Bop of the Week with the song Confetti, I think, a couple weeks ago, if not last week. Mm. But, uh, Confetti, yeah, someone clearly hasn't listened. Just kidding. <laughs> um, this song, actually, I recognized her voice immediately because I was like, every time she starts singing, I'm like, wow, it's Charlotte Cardin. Like, we love her. From Quebec, I believe. Um, this song's called History of Yesterday, but it's by Milky Chance. It's off of their new album. I say new, but it came out in March. Um, and it's featuring Charlotte Cardin, who we love. So you can find those titles if you have any you know, discrepancies or having it hard time find them, finding them in our Instagram bio, like I said, without, I always say without further ado, which is like something you say before the event happens. Without further ado, we will now be ending this episode. <laughs> no, we've reached another uh, another good hour and something. Oh my there, God, I, it was an hour and 22 minutes. We love it though. It didn't feel like an hour and 22 minutes, did it? It didn't at all. What the fuck? I, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, what the... <laughs> Um, I genuinely, I love it though. We love it. And I hope that y'all had as much fun as we did listening. Um, please, we should do this sometime with, with, I mean, maybe it would be hard to do it with other people. I was trying to think in my head of a way that we could do this, what, like, by incorporating, like, our listeners. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could be like, we could show somebody a hint and then get them to, like, send us some stories or something that relate to it. Then we can pull one of their stories and use that. I don't know. We could figure something out just for some fun involvement of listeners. If y'all would like that, please let us know. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay, um, stay, what did you say? Stay hungry and humble, everyone. Stay hungry and humble, everyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. And until next week, it's been Sarah and Kale, your co-hosts of It All Started With The Light Bulb. To you, Jim. Better, bad <laughs> Back to you, Jim. Like we're news anchors. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.
Why do I always go in a high pitch like that? I don't know, but it's it's happening. 